Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Clark. And welcome to Wordstruck, where we take a fresh look at great books. Uh, right now, we are between seasons. Uh, season one just wrapped up. We read uh, Sorcerer's Stone. It was way fun. We talked about the movie and stuff. For an awesome finale you probably just listened to. And next season, we're tackling uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. But we came up with this great idea of how to bridge the gap. Take a little break yeah. for us. So for the next couple episodes from us, you'll hear um, we're actually going to take a step back from reading any book in particular and going through like chapter by chapter like we've usually been doing. And instead, we're just going to talk a little bit about um, the role books have played in both of our lives. So Alyssa and I here, we have... <clears throat> that is the sound of many little pieces of paper folded up in a basket that I am shaking. So uh, what, what are we doing with this? This is excellent radio work here. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, so we came up with some questions of just prompts for books that shaped our lives in various ways. Um, and if you have any questions that we don't get to, feel free to like tweet and email us uh, questions that we can tackle in the future when we do other episodes like this. But yeah, so... uh, we were thinking we'd answer a couple of those for each other and sort of uh, see what books shaped each other's lives. Yeah. So we have this basket. We're going to draw just a few questions out. We're each going to answer it. Take turns kind of talking about the books that relate to the question. Yeah, it, you guys get it. Yeah. You know what's happening. It's not too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, before we do that, yeah. um, we have mm-hmm. some listener mail. Woohoo! What um, do we have? We have an email from Brenna. Mm-hmm. Um, hello, Brenna. Hello. Thanks for following. An email. Thanks That's very emailing. formal. Yeah, she she wrote it out, so too long to be tweeted. Um, and it was response to our final chapter episode. So here's what Brenna had to say. Uh, she says, "My thoughts and theories on the final chapter. One, I think Quirrell was attempting to make Harry's death look like an accident, and the game was a perfect way to pull that off. Over oh, Quidditch, if okay. it had worked. Yeah, Quidditch." In the end, it seems like it was an opportunity that he shouldn't pass by. Uh, Two, I think Harry's biggest goal in going for the Sorcerer's Stone is to protect it and by proxy protect everyone he cares about and the whole new world that he's become a part of. Hmm. I think that is why getting the stone was his biggest desire at the moment that he looked into the mirror, especially because 11-year-olds tend to live more in the moment and I can see their deepest desires changing to what their current goal of the moment yeah so getting the stone but not using the stone yeah okay and then three i think quirrell couldn't get the stone because he wanted to use it to curry favor with voldemort which is why the mirror would have protected the stone from almost all of voldemort's underlings Hmm. i love listening to this season can't wait to hear more well thank you brenna Brenna. uh do you have any responses to this um, I, I do see the, like, uh, quarrel and attack on Harry's life during Quidditch was just a, too easy of an opportunity to pass up. I could totally see that. Yeah. Just I mean, like, let's just, that 11-year-old kid, we tried to kill him once. <laughs> let's see if we can take him out now. He is 100 feet up in the air he on a broom. He seems problematic. What could possibly, you know. So let's just... Uh, Hmm. take him out of the game right now oh never mind hmm. um okay so i could see that um as far as i i still am not sure that i buy that that your deepest desire is can be so changeable hmm. i don't know i i guess i i don't that's sort of a hard thing to uh pin down i mean i i think if i were to look in the mirror I'm, I'm not sure I would instantly recognize that what I'm seeing is my deepest desire and that it's forever unchanging. But I feel like those are those are 
a lot more solid and and a lot more deep seated those those deep desires yeah yeah but it, it, the book spent so much time establishing um much better than the movie spent so much time establishing that harry is a little bit obsessed about this more so than hermione more so than ron where it's like nope there is one person who is very very adamant that snape doesn't get the stone uh or that you know because voldemort would get the stone so i think harry had just so much more riding on it and had so much more just like he seemed just so much more invested in it that i could actually see that by the time he was in that final chamber this is every everything has led up to this moment yeah i bet at that moment that probably was what he wanted the most for that specific moment where it's like it's different though if it was christmas yeah he'd probably wanted his family around and stuff like that but like he has just gone through so much just for this one thing and at that point yeah he probably wanted that more than a, a hug from his mom what would that do at that point you know that doesn't help him so I, I think core desires can change but you know there's always there are always several different core desires and you can have more than one at a time so it's just which one kind of exhibits itself the mo- itself the most yeah i wonder if my uh the uh, inability to accept that is maybe partly coming from reading in essence a a children's book and just sort of the way it's written and i sort of maybe i'm discounting the stakes unfairly of of maybe that's part of the problem it could be of i'm just having a hard time believing that that would be the deepest i i guess i i would meet you halfway in saying that um dumbledore thinks this is the most clever thing he's done or one of the more clever tricks that he's done to to set up this little you know trap door to get to the stone I I don't think it's that clever. I think there are way too many points of failure. Like, what if Harry had broken his arm in the fight or Harry was on fire or something like that? That would be useless. Then he would look and he would see whatever else he wanted. So it's like that was putting way too much faith. And still the fact that it gives it up to someone who doesn't even who unwittingly gets it. Like they don't even really realize like, oh, and suddenly I'm in possession of it. Mm -hmm. Like it could have gone to Hermione. It could have gone to Ron. Yeah. That's that's another like you you just gave it to an eleven year old kid who can't defend it necessarily except for his hands and it wasn't even shielded to a point that like so there's <laughs> yeah and it wasn't even shielded to like it, it didn't protect him or anything either so it's like cool he has it now and Voldemort caught on that he had it so then he and could he's just... a kid who we've never seen do a spell who now has to protect a stone <laughs> like, yeah yeah it's, it's he got very lucky with that that added ability that harry has it's like wouldn't it be just as effective to just not have the mirror give it to anybody at all like (laughs) why did why did harry need to hold it in his hand it didn't add anything to it. sort of like the uh, after all of it dumbledore destroys it yeah yeah why not just destroy it in the first place exactly so because it was bait (laughs) because it was bait or because i don't know we needed a story So thank you very much, Brenna, for that email. Um, if you want to send us an email talking about um, either the last season or the next season, things you might want us to talk about, or even all this stuff going on in the middle, uh, you can email us at wordstruckpodcasts at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at wordstruckpod. At wordstruckpod. Or at me, I am at Alyssa Small, and Clark is at Clark Hodges. Yep. So that's where you can find us. So now. let's uh, let's draw some stuff. Okay. You, you gotta go shake the basket before you draw. Oh, oh, just you gotta give for that sound, sound effects. effects. Yeah. Okay. 
because because just drawing it's not fun. Your mm -hmm, your basket's mm -hmm. very noisy. That's the point. It's, it's I see that. Okay. <laughs> it's a wicker basket, a light light brown. <laughs> Get some ASMR up on this. A little piece of paper. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Books that showed you a different perspective. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What are some books that have uh, given you a different perspective? Uh, uh, one was uh, The Cellist of Sarajevo. Come again? The Cellist of Sarajevo. Huh. Um, let me see. It's by Stephen Galloway. Hmm. And it's written in like five different perspectives. But um, set in Sarajevo when it was under, uh, I think it was uh, under siege. Another country was trying to take over it. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've read it. And it's set in a historical okay. time. Okay. Um, so when it was like being mortared all day long um and so these people are trapped in sarajevo and uh and what it does is it goes through five different perspectives which is not the like showed me different perspective but it's in, <laughs> it's in five different points of real view meta with this question um, all right. and and so you see all these people and and what it's like to live in a town that doesn't really have water in a safe place you like you have to cross town when there are snipers and mortar shells going off all the time hmm. and um and then it just and like you go with your jugs or whatever you can put water in to go get water at the one place that has healthy water and then you bring it back to your home and there's no plumbing there's no electricity there's just all these problems because you're trapped in this city that's under siege it sounds like syria <laughs> like it's yeah it's most of syria right now aleppo and stuff yeah, yeah and it was uh, because it went through these five different perspectives and there are people who are all trying to cross the city to go to different places and then there's one person you're in the head of and they're, uh, they're a sniper who is put on in position to protect this cellist that decides he's going to play I don't remember what the what the piece is but it's, it's a requiem I think hmm. at a mortar site that killed like 20 people he decides he sets for himself i'm going to play this x number of times in my life and like a very a set number of times and after that i'm going to be done with this piece and he decides for his last time he's going to play this requiem at the site of all these deaths at the mortar shell and so there's this um there's this sniper who is put in position to protect him hmm. and the thing that amazed me the most and this might be a spoiler i don't really remember how much it built up like you don't really know who the sniper is for a long time like on the last page hmm. we learn her name is Alyssa, and it just like put me so much in her place in the most uncomfortable like horrifying and jarring way wow. possible that i was just like like on top of like you just she was just given a name and she became a human yeah she also became a name and a human with my name wow. and i was just like like i had to set it down and i was like shaking after because it suddenly like it was already a really draining exhausting terrifying book that felt like i i was in this world that was under siege but then placed in it so much more that way it was amazing huh. it's a, such an amazing book you should read it wow it's really, <laughs> i don't know if it'd be quite as immersive uh without the one it's of the still it's beautifully name. written it is so good and it was enlightening it was a a, a war that i was unaware of hmm. which i mean that shows my millennial age because they're like ask anyone 10 years 
older than me and they would remember this. Yeah, I don't know anything about it, though. It was like 87 or something that it hmm. was, I think it was a Civil War. Wow. Anyway, that's so is it one based of on, is it a true book or? It's, it's based on true experiences. And I think the fact that the cellist played at that mortar site is also true. I think oh, it's, wow. I think that happened and he was in the Sarajevo Symphony. He's this incredible musician and he plays this solo. Hmm. And, and it's, it's speaks to like, we can tear each other apart when mm. in hard times, or we can still strive to create beauty and respect each other and take risks that could be life threatening. Like he's out in the open and could be bombed. That spot had been bombed hmm. and it brings the people out in this incredible way to listen and actually appreciate beauty and have a moment of no fear. Hmm. Ah, it's an amazing book. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Mine's going to sound so cheesy compared to that. Uh, so, books that showed you a different perspective. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, you'll hear me uh, over the course of these series where we read these questions and stuff like that. We're, we're going to do more than one of these, but you're going to hear me bring up... Uh, this particular series uh multiple times i've got two Uh, guesses what it might be (laughs) (laughs) i haven't read nearly as many books as you so uh, i'm going to go back to when i was in elementary school and i'm going to go with a book from the animorphs i knew it (laughs) yeah it's probably one of the two yeah i've never read any animorphs so Uh, tell me me how animorphs show you a new perspective (laughs) it's very niche it's by k applegate and also her daughter, and also shadow writers that they just kind of would like be like, hey, write a book. And they'd be like, all right. <laughs> That's cool. That's a good gig. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, some of them stand the test of time, others do not. Uh, the book, though, that changed my perspective, uh, or that showed me a different perspective, was um, it's, it's a book called The Elemist Chronicles. Uh, so it's outside of the standard canon. It's not like a numbered book. Though um, it does at the very end of the book, it, it refers to an event that's towards the end of the series. So it's like it does kind of eventually land in the same timeline, but for the most part, it's just expanding on a character that um, usually just dips in and out of the series, but we get to hear his whole background. Um, so I guess what gave me a different perspective about it, uh, this particular character is actually um, essentially the god of the series. The one who pretty much got the alien to crash land on Earth to give this power to the kids to save the whole universe. Uh, That was all pretty much orchestrated by one character. And um, bear with me. I know this is weird. (laughs) I'm setting this up now so I don't have to set it up every single time. Uh, But So it's this god character that is seemingly omniscient, seemingly um, very, very powerful. But we learn in um, the Elemist Chronicles that he actually started off as just a standard alien. Like he was like this pterodactyl thing on this planet and this his planet got ripped to shreds by invaders and uh, he managed to survive, but he was taken captive by this um, weird, oh boy, this is going to be really hard to wrap up. So he's being held captive by this underwater thing with all these other underwater things, all these memories, all of this technology, because it would like suck in ships and stuff too. So it had like all this knowledge of how ships were being built from all these alien planets. And it like was this weird 
technology biology thing. So when when the Elemis managed to like defeat it by beating one of its games, the thing essentially like disintegrated, and the Elemis like absorbed all of the life force. I don't know how, and then it flew into space. So he kind of became this weird like everything and nothing at the same time spacecraft thing, and he essentially went around just like absorbing more knowledge for a long time, and like essentially like we see the creation of a god and we see eventually the choices that a god has to make where it's like you can get the utilitarian god where it's like okay i can make this decision where it's like the greatest result for the greatest number of people or like where it's like okay you can do this thing where you can save this entire race or you can let that race die and save this one because you think that this rate this race will like serve a better chance or something like that where it's like you're essentially choosing the destiny of like millions of living creatures and i guess it brought my perspective to where it's like so i'm a christian so it's like i've had this concept of god my entire life but usually like a lot of places will paint god as where it's like okay god is just sitting over earth just watching earth you know just just watching earth you know just kind of poking at it watching you laughing at stuff you know cursing you lightning from the sky and and this book kind of showed me that um that might not be the case and it might not have to be the case where it's like if if god truly is like this omniscient omnipotent thing can't he really in theory be doing millions of other things at the same time where it's like this whole construct of like time that humans have and like oh well god's probably mad because i'm not doing this right now it's like that god's good no he's not he has he has some like he's on a whole other level and what feels like an eternity for us is just literally just like a synapsis or synopsis synapse yeah just like a firing of a single neuron for him is like the entire history of earth so it kind of made me question like what okay if i accept that god is all-powerful what what does that actually mean? Wow. I'm amazed that Animorphs brought you to that. Like, like I've seen the covers of Animorphs and I like looked at them with disdain when I was a kid <laughs> and for it to like play with those big ideas, I had no idea. Yeah, Animorphs uh people that is not um that is not the shallow book that many people think it may be. Cool. Do we have time for another one? <laughs> I don't know. Do we? <laughs> yeah, let's do let's do one more. I didn't expect one question to take so long. I told you. Sorry, guys. Hey, books make for good stories. Yeah. Okay. Books you didn't finish, and you won't finish. And I won't finish. Yeah. Hmm. It's hard. There are a lot of books that I haven't read that I want to return to, and I want to hold myself to that. But I will bet that I will never finish Oliver Twist. Oliver Twist, huh? Yeah. I started that one in high school. And I got it at the school library. And I was like, you know what? Dickens. I've never read a Dickens. <laughs> I feel like I should read a Dickens. I had very uh, high-minded uh, opinions about what I should be reading in high school. And I still, like, I, I believe in the classics. But You're Like, I'm sophisticated. Yeah. I, I need to have this tucked in my belt, you know? Oh, I was such a I book to... snob then. <laughs> I need to be able to quote Dickens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. I, I want to, it, it, it was going to be a feather in my cap that I, of my own accord, had read Dickens. And I didn't check it out specifically with, like, a, ha, everyone's going to think I'm so smart with this. But mm-hmm. it was also partly, like, a, like... 
this, I feel like this is something that I should read. And if I read it of my own volition, I'll be like that much more proud of the fact that I read it and that much happier yeah, with yeah. myself that I read it. So I was trying to broaden my, uh, so sort of uh, go back in the, in the uh, English language catalog of novels, but oh man, I think I got four chapters in and so <laughs> I was like, this is brutal. Dickens is yeah i have i've never read a dickens see like dickens like so many of the translations into movies and plays and stuff like that they take so much out that you don't even realize and and it's just written in such a way that it's more conversational when it's for films and stuff too but when you actually read the the prose itself it's a lot to chew on it's yeah he's very like i mean uh Oh, I'm blanking on his name. Holden Caulfield. Holden mm-hmm. Caulfield and Catcher in the Rye mm-hmm. sort of cracks a joke in his first line of like, you probably want all that like Dickens stuff of that. I was born <laughs> on this day and to this person mm-hmm. and all the years leading up to now. But like, I'm not going to bore you with that. And it's, uh, I identify with that now. Of, so edgy. <laughs> of, of, yeah, it's it's just, we don't need a chronology in order to tell a good story. Yeah. And I think someday i think it's a tale of two cities is also dickens hmm. yeah um and i think someday i i want to tackle that one but yeah i think i've seen uh um oliver and company and that will be good enough for me for oliver twist good enough <laughs> yep some things are just better to watch some or... things are better in disney movies yeah <laughs> what about you so books that I have not finished and I don't plan on finishing. Um, good to great. Uh, it's a <laughs> sounds like a self help book. It's, is it? <laughs> it's not. It's a business book. All right. Self help. Um, <laughs> how to improve your business. <laughs> but no, good to great. It's like laugh at the social sciences, you know, if you want. But like it, that book has changed a lot of people's lives, really? and and many people that I admire who are professional creatives, whether it's bloggers, writers, screenwriters, whatever. A lot of them will mention good to great as like a book that that changed their perspective on what it is to be a professional, um, and. It is good for that. It talks about kind of the mindset of what it is to to set goals and to reach those goals and how you can kind of break it down into like four or five easy steps of like, what is the problem? How do you solve the problem? Like, you know, that sort of thing where it seems obvious, but at the same time, um, sometimes it's just really nice to have tools to break a bigger problem down into smaller problems. And also it it gives you stories and tools um, to kind of learn more about yourself and how you would go about solving problems. Uh, But it does tend to, you know, people will put it in the same category as like the four hour work week and books like that, where it's talking about like how to just like how to make life and business just a breeze. And it kind of it makes it feel real glossy. And I guess um, as much as I want to finish reading Good to Great, and as much as I think I would probably get something out of it, I feel like I have probably learned most of those lessons through either firsthand experience, just having made enough mistakes, where it's like if I was, I, I feel like if I were to read it now, and this has been my experience with the book, I read it now, and it essentially I'm like, oh, that's what that's called. And it just kind of gives a name to a series of patterns that I've seen play out in my life, where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the name of that pattern. Like when when a business or when a manager falls into this pattern where he favors people like this, you know, it, it's, um, 
and and while i think it's important to identify trends and to have names for them and stuff like that it's just not <sighs> it's interesting when we've when when we've sort of outgrown books that we've Sometimes don't even feel like we should have outgrown. Yeah, like yeah, where it's like some self help books I've I've read or or that there have been some like uh, philosophical like Christian analyses and stuff that I'm mm-hmm. I'm reading and I'm like I don't like I've already covered this hurdle I don't exactly. need to go exactly. through this one again and and so it's not helping me and so realizing like oh I've lived life and I've learned things and not every book's going to teach me something it's a weird experience I yeah. Think. And especially a book where it's like, no, I know that there are like 40 year old men reading this and getting something out of it, men and women and everybody. And it's not even saying that it's like, oh, no, I don't need to read it because I know everything that's in that book and I've experienced it because that's not the case. It's just um, I found that there are other books that communicate the message in a way that resonates with me a lot more. And I've read other books that like I read that and I'm like, oh, they're trying to say the same thing. They're just coming at it from a different angle, using different examples. And this resonates with me way more. So I'm going to read this book instead. So essentially, like I, I've just found things that work better for me. So the good to great is just kind of like it's it's there. I know it's there. It's good. It's, it's not good. Great. But that's enough for this episode. You think? Yeah. So if you have any questions or categories of books that you want us to uh answer and this won't be our only episode that we're going to do this no so we're going to do a few of these yeah if this we're kind of toying with this might be our sort of hiatus in between seasons mm-hmm. thing so, or even just like you know we're we're a bi-weekly podcast every other week so it's like if we get bored we might just throw one of these up between you know yeah. every yeah just kind of in, for curious for or... curious just bonus content why not so if you have any questions like that or or dealing with anything that we have discussed, uh, please email or tweet us. So. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye.